0: Welcome to On Water, the Session Magazine podcast. Here, we talk to water athletes, entrepreneurs, scientists, and earth-friendly folks about the experience of a life well-lived connected to water. I'm your host, Evelyn O'Darity. Let's dive in. We're here with Ireland's Dylan Stott, one of Session Magazine's serial contributors, a surf writer, and one of the Ireland big wave surf scene contenders. Dylan, thanks so much for taking some time to meet with us today.
1: Thanks, Evelyn. This is cool.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you here. And uh, as I was saying just before we started recording, I know so very little about you, even though you've been writing for Session Magazine since we rebranded back in January, so this is a really fun way to uh, connect and just get to know one each other.
1: Since way back in the beginning, yeah, and it's um, it's cool to get involved with something where right at the start that's been a dream of mine. So thank you yeah. for
0: oh, we're we're so stoked to have you. You have no yeah. idea, like the whole team looks forward to your articles. You know when you submit them. Um, So Dylan, tell me a little bit about like, where did you grow up and how did you get, how did you start surfing?
1: I grew up in Long Island, the East End of Long Island, um, to be specific. Uh, Southampton, to be more specific. Shinnecock Hills, to be most specific. And it's shaped me in a very odd way growing up there because most people, I think, know the Hamptons from movies and tv shows especially around here you know so for sure so you say if whenever I say where I'm from I always include there's like I say but (laughs) and (laughs) this whole pile of other stuff you know but it is a very strange place to grow up and it becomes stranger the further I'm removed from it Mm -hmm. the house where I grew up in was on Shinnecock Hills which was a piece of land where the Shinnecock Indians buried their dead so they buried them all on the there's basically the biggest hills in the Southampton area facing south so filled it's basically a big graveyard and that's where I grew up and on the other side of that is the res what's left of the res it's not actually a reservation it's it's a it's a nation Right, Because they've held on to it since the very beginning, but they've only held on to 800 acres of it where they used to, the original Mm -hmm. agreement in the 1900s was 5,000 acres that, which included the Shinnecock Hills. So, um, and my grandpa has, uh, you know, tribal affiliations and I grew up dancing at powwows and going around with all my, my powwow friends and, um, so I grew up with this very skeptical view of society, you know, and, Absolutely. but the surf is good. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Surf, surf is fun there. So I grew up surfing too. So I'm really, really lucky. Um, but yeah, it's definitely shaped my view of the world in ways that I can't undo again.
0: So Dylan, here's a random fact that obviously you don't know, but I am currently in Amagansett. Ah. (laughs) Uh, And I've lived out here full time for the last 32 years. Um, I've been coming out to the quote unquote Hamptons my whole life. Uh, You know, summer's out here. And then when I graduated from college, I moved here full time. So I completely understand Uh, what you're saying about sort of the weird dichotomy of this world. And on top of that, I actually taught in Southampton school district for 12 years.
1: Oh, no way. So So, we're both teachers as well. I'm an English teacher.
0: Yeah. So I must've, it sounds like I probably missed you. I don't know. By, by a few years, Um, I was doing my student teaching when John wrist was a senior.
1: He was my good buddy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's just, I had no, I I had no idea that you were from Southampton. Yeah. That's incredible.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And, uh, and I certainly understand the, um, the conflict, you know, with the Shinnecock Nation, and what's oh, happened sure. in terms of the reservation. You know, I've, I have so many, uh, you know, good friends from the res and students who, um, definitely, you know, I've, I've had a real close look at uh, the experiences there. So it's fascinating that you're talking about that that section of the universe, which is about 20 miles it's right from where you are,
1: <laughs> and you right where you are. You can you can shut your eyes and imagine you know, they Amagansets, sort of how they lived before in the way back before all that happened, you know. I oh. always like to imagine those sorts of things.
0: I know. It's I know, easy I... to
1: romanticize, but at the same time, you know, the East End must have been paradise. Well, in you, a way.
0: you feel it like yeah. i I really believe there are places out here that you feel that energy, you know, that Native American tribe energy and um, we always say here up at the Montauk Manor was also uh, one of the burial grounds. And it's like there's a, there's a cemetery up there today, but it's it's not for the Native Americans. But up there, there's a peace and a, I don't know, there's, it's, the, it's, a, it's energetic. I don't know how to describe it. But it's like there is something happening up there that is beautiful and deep.
1: And Montauk. Yeah. Would, yeah. Do they have the machine on?
0: <laughs> the portal is did open. They,
1: did they turn it on? I don't know. I haven't been there in a while. I don't, you can tell when it's on though. Everything's just a little
0: shinier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
1: <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I'm preaching to the choir on that one.
0: Totally. Um, totally. But I I love that you were part of the, the powwows, you know, out here and, and, uh, you know, just experiencing all of that too, because it's such a it's such a rich cultural part of the true history of this place.
1: So if I go to the res now and I you know, chat to people who I remember, and they quite can't place me because I don't come home too often. Often, to, you know, remember the little white guy? You know, at the power? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty easy to like. There weren't too many of us. It's me and yeah. uh, me, me and my talk, the other blonde guy, running around. He cool. was actually blonder than me.
0: So how did you, like, who inspired you to start surfing? Where did that begin?
1: My dad. He grew up as a lifeguard in Massapequa. He was always surfing, body surfing. He was, like, a beach guy. You know? His mm-hmm. dad, I, he, he was a sailor. Like, they, their life sort of revolved around the bays out in Massapequa and there. Um, and so he passed on that life to me. He got me to the beach enough. Yeah, um, before yeah. we moved to Shinnecock Hills, we lived over in Matatuck, which is a kind of a yeah. stretch away from the ocean. But he, you know, we got, he got me there enough to get sliding at the right age and got the bug to stick. And that's how I started surfing. Yeah. You know, my dad. Amazing.
0: Yeah. I, I think, you know, we're, those of us who are so lucky to have parents that just instill in us uh, an appreciation, respect and love for the water, right? It's, it's a game changer. You know, I grew up in Westchester, but My parents also, you know, had a real love of the East end of Long Island here. And I sometimes I think about like, what if we didn't have that house? You know, what if, Mm. what if I never came out here? Yeah. Like just that person literally doesn't exist.
1: Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, So it's, it's the biggest gift you could give somebody. So that's what I'm passing on to my boy as well. You know, this sort of general being at the coast Doing whatever sure. it is you want to do, but you're just you're existing in that space where land meets sea, doing things, and yeah, that amazing. helps a lot. Yeah,
0: yeah, amazing. And life. So, what do you remember about surf breaks in Southampton?
1: Oh, I can't talk about that. <laughs> uh, no, Dylan, I, when, they're, when they're I,
0: completely blown out by now.
1: <laughs> when when I grew up, I grew up surfing flies. I don't know if you ever remember that.
0: Yep. sure, and
1: sure. So it's still it's still there, but it's used to be this amazing break it had turned any little wind slop into groomed Mm. barrels you Mm -hmm. know every single Mm -hmm. day but the localism was heavy
0: were you a part of that
1: in the sense that i had to deal with it i'd Ah, say the locals were the locals were um grown men when i was coming into it you know when i was in my early teens so i had to Navigate this terrain that you helped me probably in Hawaii later on, definitely, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you had to read people pretty well. Otherwise, you got punished. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really exist anymore. There, yeah. definitely right. not here. Probably does in Hawaii in some places, but I've heard there too. It's, you know, it's changed. It's
0: yeah, yeah. You, I think
1: you go, you go to jail now for. <laughs> for for people up <laughs> <laughs> just, and that happened all the time all the time and you had to you know uh you must know my friend luther as well
0: of course uh, yes. of course i do you artist surfer mm-hmm.
1: so luther was a couple years older than me and he was he worked in sunrise to sunset in southampton so yeah. he was a god to me like he was yeah. the guy who worked in the surf shop i, I want to be that guy like right one day if everything yeah. goes right in my life I'm going to work at the surf shop too. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be like him. So yeah, Luther definitely took me under his wing and helped me navigate all that, you know, complicated. Cause it was pretty it's complicated.
0: Yeah. It was, it's it complicated.
1: And you yeah, go, I've been around the world a little bit enough to know that back home back then it was about as complicated and as it gets, you know, like heavy, heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People, you just, you had to avoid people. But also, you know, I lived living in Shinnecock Hills. I rode my bike to the beach all the time. So either I'd ride one way, go into Hampton Bays over the bridge, or I'd go the other way to Flies, all the way around the bay. And the guys would see me riding my bike and they'd, they'd start to stop and pick me up, you know, take me all the way to the break, surf with me. They'd buy me pizza or a sandwich afterwards. So, like, I also saw the other side of this localism thing where, yeah. Hold on, like, I'm kind of a local too. Like, this is, yeah, this works out for me a little bit, right?
0: Wow, those are good times, right?
1: Mm, I, you know, the best of times, the worst of times,
0: you're yeah, right, 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 <laughs> right. You have, uh, do you besides Lutha, are there any other names that uh, you can throw at me to see if uh, there's some recognition?
1: Vinnie McGann it was a big, infl-
0: yeah, yeah, Vinny's a good infl- friend of mine, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. so <laughs> Vanny's a real good surfer. And he always, he was one of the guys who kind of, you know, he always looked out for me. One time he took me to Block Island. I was I had no money. Right. And we were sitting there in Hampton Bays and he's like, "You know, Block's going to be cooking." I was like, "Yeah, you know, I'm broke." He's like, Come on, let's go anyway." I was like, "Man, I I have no money." He's like, "Come anyway, I got you." And I was like, "Really? I
0: like so cool. That's so nearly.
1: Funny nearly broke down in tears you know and he took yeah. me on the whole trip paid for the you know everything you need to pay for the food the hotel drinks wow yeah just yeah and it was one of those you know i got taken under the wing and that feels good
0: Hmm. Hmm. do you pass that on now
1: i try to absolutely yeah, that's nice whenever yeah. i can absolutely yeah one of the ways i can pass that on is if somebody inspires me and it's usually younger talented surfers in some sort of way that goes beyond their surf talent. So I can pass that on in the way that shows the world their character, which means something more than, you know, just a good wave that they caught or whatever.
0: That's so good. I, I actually did a podcast yesterday with Brian Talma. Brian is a, um, just a multifaceted waterman from, barbados and one of the things that he celebrates too and this thing he calls the beach culture world tour are the athletes who have the most impact both on the water and on land and it sounds like you're doing that that same like look you know for the the person who's not just a good surfer but um you know has real character out of the water
1: as well something else some some panache or yeah yeah yeah
0: something cool So from your roots there in Shinnecock Hills, how did you wind up in Ireland, of all places?
1: I suppose I had to go to Hawaii first.
0: (laughs) You suppose, yeah.
1: Yeah, I wanted to surf. I remember having a conversation with my best friend at the time, my buddy Matt, who I've lost contact completely with, Matt Ramsey, if you're out there, what's up? Mm -hmm. Um, But he's just like, yeah, his dad made furniture, cabinets. And I was like, well, I'm going go to I'm gonna go to Hawaii and go to school and surf. I was like, are you, you going to come to Hawaii and go to school and surf? <laughs> 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 He's like, no, I'm going to go to school in Pennsylvania because they have this really good cabinet-making school mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania. And then I'm going to work for my dad for a while. And then when I'm 30, I'll, I can go, you know, I can do whatever I want. And that just, like, that blew my mind. It's Like, right. 30? 30. <laughs> Man. I plan to be dead by then. Like, I don't yeah, know what you're going to yeah. do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so responsible.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah. So then I went off to Hawaii. Just not a clue. Just complete Halley boy. Um, the only connection I had, my mom's uh, partner was from Hawaii. Nice. From, from Eva. Ever. Ever. Never, ever go to Eva. So he he basically he basically told my mother, he's like, Don't let him go. Like he's right, he'll never go don't come let out. this guy go to Hawaii on his own. <laughs> but um he got my, my he got me a job in Waikiki and got me enough to sort of get set up something. You know, and I stayed in the dorms the first semester. Awesome. And then right up there right after that I moved up to the North Shore and found my first little crack shack in Wailua and <laughs> Kept stepping it up from there, for the next nine years, I think I lived on the North Shore.
0: Right, the uh, University of the North Shore. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: I went to school at, at Hawaii Pacific University. I always tell Beautiful. people I went to UH because nobody, because it's just easier. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to explain it then. But I didn't go to UH. I didn't get in. I went to Hawaii Pacific University. My grades in high school were terrible. Like I was, I. I, was, I flunked out of school basically if it wasn't for an English teacher is that so, right yeah That's so cool. one guy just just gave me enough spark to sort of keep my education who, was Barely. that in Southampton no I went to school in West Hampton
0: uh who is that teacher
1: his name is Mr. Wood okay never knew his first name he's retired mm-hmm. a while ago I don't even know if he's still alive but mm-hmm. he changed my life in spectacular ways
0: how did he do that
1: he just read us literature and explained mm-hmm. it in ways that applied to our lives and explained how this, this, all these classics that they force you to read in high school mm-hmm. apply mm-hmm. to your life and how they're really not boring. <laughs> in fact, yeah. they're the most interesting thing you could possibly be doing yeah. is reading these books that they're forcing you to read. So... So yeah. from there, it just, it made me want to read. It made me, I mean, I already read, I already read a lot. I was an avid reader. I read trash Stephen King novels, even though I love Stephen King. Anybody he mm-hmm. does write trash. <laughs> it's yeah. brilliant trash.
0: Good trash, yeah.
1: But uh, yeah, I spent 11, 12, 13 years old reading all that stuff, you know. Once I got out of high school, I just lost most of my interest for everything. Yeah, except for that. Yeah, he changed. And I, it wasn't just me. He changed everybody's perspective on how to look at books isn't that amazing enough to have them in class you know yeah
0: for sure right like one teacher can really change the whole trajectory of your life yeah i totally agree
1: but then i went to university and pretty much did the same thing but like barely hung on barely went to class enough to you know so i served
0: you were surfing yeah
1: (laughs) 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 i barely did enough you know i got notices they were going to kick me out if i didn't get my grades up that went on through the whole like you said there's another kind of university going on there. Mm-hmm. That's not really in the intellectual zone.
0: Yeah, but I think a lot of people understand it, you know, it is. It's the university of life and specifically mm-hmm. you were you were chasing after, you know, the surf and progression there, so it makes it makes a lot of sense, you know, and but so even with all of that like you somehow graduated, right? From uh from college.
1: Or somehow did you? graduated? No. No, I I have my, I have my undergraduate degree. I got three more postgraduate degrees after that. Love that. But um, while I was going to school, I went. I had to work, and I didn't want to work in Waikiki, bus and tables. That's for sure. So I got a job trimming trees, trimming coconut trees. Wow! I saw these guys, these coconut tree guys, and they were just most badass looking guys I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, they all had their shirts cut off with the sleeves with the bandanas yeah. on, like the sunglasses. Machete. They'd hang on to the back of the truck. They wouldn't even ride inside. Yeah, with the with the cane knives. Yeah. I see these guys, you know, and then my friend, I lived with this guy. I moved into a house at pipeline. Like Jerry Lopez like right behind Jerry Lopez's old house. I think yeah. it's now Jamie O'Brien's house. Sweet. But it was a, it was like falling apart. It was a dump. It was 200 bucks a month.
0: (laughs) Oh no, you're kidding me.
1: (laughs) 200 bucks a month living a pipeline. Yeah. But my buddy, my roommate Emmett, (laughs) he was a tree trimmer. And one day he was just like, You want to learn how to do this stuff? So he kind of showed me the way. I started working for the guy he was working for who lived right down near Waimea. Like that's where Mm -hmm. his house and his shop was. And so every time Waimea was good and we'd come home from work, he'd be like, Oh, let's go out. You know, I'd be like, Mm -hmm. No, like I like to surf sunset and like kind of big waves but then I'd never would have gone I would never would have crossed out there if it wasn't for he's like no I got a board for you let's just let's just go out there so he kind of that was my first step into getting into like bigger bigger waves bigger than eight feet you know
0: right right so how did that again so here you are living in island Tropic Paradise. Oh yeah, Ireland. (laughs) And somehow, somehow, you moved across the pond there.
1: (laughs) And if I don't know if if you'd spend any time on the North Shore, but even back then, it was pretty crowded. Yeah, for sure. And then this this film came out called Litmus. Anyway, it was a college movie, like a university project, and it had an Irish section. I think it was Joel Fitzgerald featured in the Irish section. Okay. And there's some waves from around here and a bit down the coast and up the coast. But for some reason, the way that edit was put together with the music, it had some old phonograph recording of some Irish music, real, real lo-fi. Awesome. But mm-hmm. it just worked so well. Mm-hmm. It just, and I was just like, man, I want to go to Ireland. Like, I want to, I just got it. So I took a year off school in the middle of it. My parents were horrified. I was already failing. <laughs> <laughs> they thought I would never go back, you know? So I took a year off to just work, to save some money and then to, to travel. And then I went to Ireland with my uncle was working for Xerox. Okay. And he, this was in the late nineties, mm-hmm. uh, 99. So there was a, it was called the Celtic tiger here. It was when Ireland financial growth was exponential. Everybody here is kind of got wealthy all of a sudden Mm. and businesses started flooding in and xerox is one of them so my uncle they sent my uncle to set up xerox in dublin and then my grandparents wanted to go visit them and so i figured i'd be a good you know chivalrous young lad and help my grandparents on the plane and all that and get them to ireland nice and safely and then from there i rented a car and drove straight west i had no idea where i was going and just ended up in this part of the world, and you know, waited around for about a week, and then a swell hit, and it just changed my whole.
0: Tell me about that deal.
1: I was just like, "No, nah, this is. I'm in the. I was in the wrong place. This is the place I I need to go. I need to try to be now."
0: Wow, I mean that's that's quite a shift, from the North Shore Pipeline Waimea, to Ireland. Like what? I'm, Tell me about tell me about that. Like how did you know? How did you know that was the next place for you?
1: Because you drive down the road here and you you squint and you're on the north shore. Like the the Mm -hmm. coast looks the same, the setups look the same, the reefs kind of look the same. Like it's really familiar when you spent a lot of time in Hawaii. It's volcanic limestone mountains going steeply into ocean and lots of swell. And you know, it's just it's just cold and there's no one around. And that appealed to me.
0: Which is awesome.
1: Yeah. yeah. I was like, I can I can handle the cold. I grew up in New York. That's not a that's not a bother. Good and point. there was just I was watching these waves and where in on the north shore there would be a hundred people out. You know? Mm-hmm. Here there was three people. And then the other waves which weren't so good. On the north shore there'd be like all the kids off of school right. or whatever. There's just never right. anybody served. as like so it was to me it was just a whole yeah. I had no idea. It, yeah. it was before the internet, really. I mean 99. I was right. looking at those I, I ordered up those surf forecast things like you got them in the mail. Yep. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I still they didn't they didn't re, they didn't they weren't useful at all. So, yeah, it was a different it was a different time. It felt really big and open and new. Whereas mm. living on the North Shore for nearly 10 years I was getting serious case of rock fever and the skits. And I just like, I I need to get off this Island. You know, you live on Oahu for enough time. You can drive back and forth. Right. (laughs) Right. You just start to, you just start to go a little loony. I think it helps if you grew up there and you, that's That's how you, you know, orient yourself on earth. But if you grew up on Long Island where you can start driving and you used to take trips to Oklahoma and, up to Mm -hmm. Canada and Vermont Mm -hmm. and down to the Carolinas all the time with my grandparents going to Palos or whatever we were doing. And all of a sudden you're just stuck on this thing. You know, you feel like you're balancing on one foot after a while in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I do hear you. And I I love that you just said that, you know, coming from New York, the cold doesn't deter you. I mean, that makes so much sense, right? If you're, um, you know, if you're used to the climate like that, then, then Ireland, I, I, it makes sense that Ireland isn't that much of a, a, a change, you know, it's, it's sort of part of your physical makeup, you know? Um, wow. So how long have you been there now? 24 years.
1: So yeah, I took a trip there. Then I came back. Maybe it took me about five years to get back. I was like, I'm gonna come back as soon as I can. It took me a long time to save money and get in the right place again to come back. And then I came back and met who the woman who is now my wife, Stephanie. Mm-hmm. at that point I was, I had a little tree trimming business in New York. I had a bit more interest in writing at that point, And I was going to go to NYU. I had written some good things by that point, And I had a portfolio and I got nice. into the, to the writing program at NYU creative writing program. That's amazing. And, yeah. And I was going to go, I was like, I'm going to figure it out. You know, it was, I think it was $90,000 yeah. tuition yeah. per year. It was a yeah. two-year program. And then yeah. I'd have to figure out how to live in New York City on top of that. So I'll, I was like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. I'll borrow some money. I'll figure it out. <laughs> but then I met my wife, and she was like, well, why don't you just why don't you apply to Trinity or, or, one, or UCD or one of the colleges here? Because, you know, it's a lot cheaper
0: it's for sure a lot cheaper. Now is Anna. she, is she from Ireland?
1: She is. Yeah. Okay. She's from, she's from the town we live in now called Mm. Mm-hmm. And so she convinced me to apply there and I applied to Trinity and I applied to UCD and I didn't get into Trinity, but I got into UCD and the whole program was 10 grand compared to, I don't know how much would it would have cost to go to, Just NYU? Goes to show, <laughs> cost, yeah. It would have cost half a million dollars to go to NYU or something, but, but yeah, so I did the program there and that's when I started living in Ireland, started out in Dublin in the big city.
0: And so slowly, fantastic.
1: slowly kind of worked my way up to live on the West Coast now. Mhm, mm-hmm. And still
0: surfing. And I know you connect with a lot of the, some of the Long Island crew when they come over there to surf. So that yeah. must feel good to have, you know, sort of connections back
1: to your New York tribe. Oh, it's always good to see, I'm not just Long Island, like, you know, almost any Americans that come this way right? and say something, I'm like, ah, American, <laughs> 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 uh, what are you doing? You know, and I figure out where they're from because there's not too, there's not too many that come around and the ones that do make it here are, you know, tend to be well-traveled and focused, right? Have, like they're choosing it. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It's a very careful decision to come. Yeah here for a surf
0: amazing uh, all of that just you know what a great what a great trajectory your life has been on uh, you know from the even the writing moving it over that way and surfing and anyway you just paint a really vivid picture of how beautiful that coastline is you know in Ireland with the last name like O'Doherty you'd think I'd, I've been over there but I haven't yet but I'm definitely it's on my my top three list these days mm. to make my way
1: yeah. Most of the Americans come over for a tour and they, they land in Dublin and they end up going around. They just call it the Kerry Ring, I think. But they they, they never come up this way. Mm. It's like this sort of this this parade they take the, the American tourists on. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. <you're> right. <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't involve up here. So here we get a lot of Northern Irish, you know, people from the north of Ireland mm. have their holiday homes and they come down in campers and Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I know very... one of the one of the places I'm I'm really interested in visiting is there's a former artist uh, writers colony actually um, called Great Blasket Island.
1: Have oh, you heard yeah. of that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very famous. Yeah, yeah. it's um. Yeah. That's where they shot the end of Star Wars, isn't
0: it? Oh, I don't know that.
1: I it think may, so. Could, it's either could
0: they, have, they have there's no electricity on the island. No, so. no, 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 no. So. I don't know how they would do that, but I'm sure they could figure it out. Anyway, that, that would be on my American mm-hmm. Ireland tour for sure. It just looks. Like I think such that's. A... P-
1: I think actually that's part of the sort of that. No, oh, yeah. don't say <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> I know <laughs> it's been programmed. You know, you guys have like it's been programmed. It's yeah, an odd it. thing.
0: Mm. All right. Well, uh, I'll, yeah. Doesn't and mean it's I'll... not.
1: Doesn't mean you shouldn't go to the Blaskets. I hear they're incredible. I've never right. been there. I've right. never been there. Okay. A friend of mine who is a filmmaker, um, Peter Klein, was out there. He spent a ridiculous amount of time out there by himself shooting birds for, yeah, know, the BBC or one of them, one of them big. Yeah. Cap, it just big sounds companies.
0: attractive. I mean, the whole you know they've. They've just maintained those, you know, those cottages and there's no electricity and you, you know, your evenings are spent by candlelight and it just, all of that just really appeals to me for like a, just a detox, you know, just check out, connect with this, you know, place where people used to just come and write and, you know, just the beauty of being in that and then to be surrounded by water on all, you know, all 360 degrees. To me, that sounds like a little bit of heaven for sure.
1: I mean, it. It sound to me that sounds like a lovely day trip. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. The sun's going down soon, right? Like, <laughs> hey, <we're>, hey, when's <laughs> the last boat? I'm gonna be on that one. And yeah, for me to, it would never work for me to write in that sort of solitude. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, my brain's too busy. I sort of need some, some busyness I around to, to be still. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: just so speaking of you know, since you're you're so uh, immersed, right, in that in your sort of love of literature and your love of writing, who is your favorite writer?
1: Oh, sorry.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> or just currently you
1: can, you can classics? Give it, yeah. I got to, it's like it's like what kind of music do you listen to? I mean, I don't I know. know.
0: <laughs> so you could just you could just free I'd, associate okay.
1: on that one. Probably the most inspiring writer for me would. Be be hunter s thompson
0: who's that and, and why
1: um hunter s thompson was a journalist from let's see from he started in the 50s stopped writing at a in the 90s early 2000s mm-hmm. uh, he wrote fear and loathing in las vegas you've never heard of him uh, uh, yeah sorry just, yeah no i'm
0: probably embarrassed uh, d- I
1: i'm embarrassed to mention him because he's so kind of cliche
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: I, like I, it, it kind of it's like if I say I'm from the Hamptons, all of a sudden people have this look at me. I if I say say <laughs> like Hunter S. Thompson, they're like, "Oh yeah, well, what are what are you on right now?"
0: Right. What? Freak
1: are you? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think his way of journalism is he has a way of telling of being honest, but not necessarily telling the truth.
0: Yeah. And sometimes oh, the two nice.
1: things are don't. They're like magnets that are repelling each other. Honesty and truth. Especially in writing. Mm -hmm. Because if you write the truth. It's just. It doesn't sound. Interesting. And it usually doesn't sound honest. So yeah. The way he. He just bent the world. to, To shape his. Message. Or his meaning. Or what he's trying to do. With whatever piece he was working on. And the way he wrote about sports like the way he wrote about Muhammad Ali Mm. or the the French skier guy Jean-Pierre Jean-Claude Pierre I think Mm -hmm. you know the way he wrote about sports or Norman Mailer the way he wrote about boxing right where you you know and that's why I hesitated when you said oh surf writer I was like okay but yeah I don't think any surf writer I don't think any surf writer writes about surfing and is successful at it it's just you're writing about people, right? you know, and right. if you try to write about surfing, it's just it, it ends up being like most of what you read in the articles these days, and it ends up being about surfing and nobody really nobody is that really interested. really it. Yeah. About who caught what wave or the biggest or did the bottom turn and the, the air three. I mean, nobody, I, that doesn't yeah. go very far. No. So it's about the people who generate this experience and then putting yourself in that experience and finding commonality to your audience so that they can relate to you being in this experience. Mm-hmm. And to mm-hmm. do that, you, I think, you know, you have to lie, <laughs> to tell, to be honest. <laughs> because <clears throat> to,
0: put, to draw people in. Yeah. I mean, sort of expand the experience in order to capture, capture a reader's attention.
1: And also, you know, we're, we're giving, uh, when you write, you're giving people a very narrow band of, what they see as well. Like you have the blinders on because if you give people a wide band, you have to use too many words. (laughs) So, so everything kind of compresses and in order to compress things also, and then after you compress them, you have to unskew them. Then (laughs) that's the magic of good writing, I think.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's a really good description. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many things I've looked at, in magazines or, or wherever. And I'm just like too many words, like can't, can't get into that unless, unless it's a book that I know is really going to, you know, the uh, uh, subject matter is really going to grab my attention. You know, it's funny, you know, you were talking about surf writing versus people writing and we were lucky enough like two weeks ago, we actually had William Finnegan uh, give a public talk at the Montauk library. It was just so random. And, you know, he's the author of Barbarian Days, whom so many people are calling like the the Bible, the new Bible for surfers, and and uh, I I've went. heard of him, and I'm very happy for his success. <laughs> oh my God, for sure. And uh, and I went, and he. Yeah. I mean, he, he was he was magnetic in person, you know. And he spoke about the backstory of writing Barbarian Days, specifically saying he couldn't write that book for like 20 years because he didn't feel like it was important enough. You know, he was a journalist who was reporting on famine and war and, you know, human atrocities. And he just couldn't find the time or the motivation to write a book on his surfing, right? He just didn't know why he would commit so much time to doing that. Anyway, in the end, of course, he did. And, it's the, and that's the book he won the Pulitzer for, right, which is so ironic.
1: He won a Pulitzer but, for that.
0: He did. He did. Damn. I know. So just put that in your bonnet. But he also said that his book, the way he thought about it was like, yeah, I mean, it was a story of his surfing, but what it was really about are the relationships that he uh, engaged in, you know, on his journey, his friendships, his, you know, um, intimate relationships, his, uh, you know, just the people in his life. And he says, that's what made that book.
1: Worth writing. I read I read read his articles. You know, when he was writing articles for the New Yorker, he wrote a sort of he wrote the only article New Yorker has ever serialized about Doc Reniker in San Francisco Mm -hmm. back in Mm -hmm. I think that was in the '90s. It was a two part article. I've never seen that in New Yorker ever before or since. I mean, I read it because obviously it was in the New Yorker, which my parents got. I never really read much of it. I thought they were just I mean, I was a teenager. Not too many 13, 14 year olds read The New Yorker (laughs) regularly, but I like the cartoons sometimes. But, um, but yeah, all of a sudden I saw this article, read it, it was, you know, way over my head, most of it, Mm -hmm. but still something, there's something about him. And, and with that old article about Doc Renneker, just he, his interest about this man was enough to make me interested about that man too.
0: Exactly.
1: And it probably wouldn't matter who it was about. It's the way he wrote about this guy because that's who he was interested in. And so I think that I think I try to do the same thing, you know. And
0: yeah,
1: I can see how I can see how he felt that he didn't think it was an important enough story because it's a pretty, you know. I I think if you if you lead a life of surfing, you're you're blessed in many many ways already, and so maybe it's hard to get it be like well, you know books are about suffering i haven't suffered enough <laughs> well <laughs> like, that's you know, how am i going to write did, a book if i haven't suffered like
0: well he he did say that he didn't want to take away from his credibility as you know like a hardcore journalist by writing this you know like quote unquote soft book on surfing and yeah. also he just didn't want people to think he was an asshole once yeah. they learned about all yeah. his surfing yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i can i can, I can relate really, to that, um,
0: yeah, yeah, but I mean, there he is. That's that's a Pulitzer Prize winning yeah. novel. So
1: I, you know, autobiographical I mean, novel. You're like, yeah. I can't, I can't write, I can't let anybody read this. Like this is, I, you know, right,
0: yeah, right. It's narcissistic or something. <clears throat> absolutely,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. No, he said he struggled with all of that, but there you have it. Now, now it's you know it's out there in the world, uh, and people are eating it up. You know, by my the buddy, jokes.
1: my buddy Richie Fitzgerald, who was. When I first got to Ireland, I found the, the only surf shop I could find. And his mother was in the surf shop, and she told me to wait for him to get back. He'd be back in a half an hour or so. So she gave me a cup of tea while I waited. Nice. Mm-hmm. And we drank the tea, and I chatted to his mom. And then he came back in his van, and he said, I'll right, jump in, I'll show, you the, I'll show you some waves. So we drove up the coast, and the last spot, all these waves were magnificent and huge. Mm and offshore and blue and nobody was out anywhere no i couldn't even see any surfers like it was just it was huge swell coming in so everybody was probably you know at this one spot that can handle it's a little manageable yeah but he showed me all the heavy spots and we ended up at mullick It was the last one and we pulled up there it was like it looked like i had seen waimea like it's i think it was in 98 the swell came Mm -hmm. in that was so big they just closed off the whole bay they the police were there trying they were arresting people trying to go in like it's ridiculous well in 98 it looked like wyamaya bay like that it was like an a frame from the middle of the bay going left and right it was that scale and barreling and spitting and there was just nobody out He's like, yeah. Here's Mellick Moore. I was like,
0: what? Did what?
1: <laughs> He's like, yeah. It's you know, it's kind of like this all the time. I was like, nobody surfs. He's like, yeah. The the Malloys came and had a tow at it one time. Like one time. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. And so that that more than anything, I, I was on the topic of Richie because he also wrote a wrote a book, you know, a memoir book of him growing up in Ireland. Nice. Um, And it's it's selling like hotcakes, (laughs) (laughs) you know, know. I said, yeah, I know, I know, I know. So all these guys are putting out books (laughs) and I have that feeling often when, you know, it's time to write my memoir. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. "Ah, No one's no one's going to want to read this tripe.
0: Well, but not not. You know, if you're thinking about how but to engage other people. But now
1: that they're giving Pulitzers for it. They're giving Pulitzers for
0: it. Absolutely. And and you, I mean, I, I've read a couple of your articles, obviously, that you, you know, about Malik Moore. And you write about that place. It's like almost in a mystical sense you know so i just uh you know i can i can feel your your attraction to it you know and and how beautiful that must that that place must be you know mm-hmm. some of the photos i've seen are just i mean they're frightening quite honestly but they're also like majestic and powerful and you know what a what a the color of the water there is is even darker different somehow it's just incredible just absolutely amazing
1: it's it's one of the, one of the best waves on earth, you know,
0: S- says, says somebody who's been all over the earth. Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, that's a, that's a big, that's a big recommendation. So does it break when it's smaller or is it usually just on a, a much larger swell?
1: No, it's, it's, it has to be scary as hell to even start breaking. That's what makes it special. Yeah. 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 yeah it's not like pipeline. It doesn't. You, know, you can't surf it at four feet and twelve feet. No, it has it's it starts at about ten foot, sort of on the Hawaiian scale. Twenty right. to thirty foot faces right. and then upwards. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then it's got that massive spit going with it too. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've spent a great deal of time, you know, making it really scary. And mm. it is, you know. But um you know, surf riding's a, a, an odd thing too, because there's lots of it's it's a genre of writing where there's lots of things you can't do. So there's what lots do you, what of do places. What do you mean by that? You, you know, I, you can't just go around the world writing articles about surf spots. No, you you, you wouldn't live long if you exactly. did that. Exactly. So <laughs> and he, Moore has kind of been my um my my muse because yes. you know, it is scary enough where it's it's not we're not really worried about more people coming. There's only a certain type yeah. of yeah. surfer who's going to really have an interest and bring the right kit with them to, mm-hmm. to get out there and, and um, enjoy themselves enough to ever want to come back again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sounds, it sounds amazing. It sounds amazing just to sit on the shoreline and, and witness that power. I mean, just incredible so, Dylan, like, if you had a book that you would recommend to any surfer, we've already talked about Barbarian Days, so you can't use that one. Um, is there any book that you think every surfer should read?
1: Oh, I'm going sound sound like to I'm gonna sound like to an English surf- teacher here. Yeah, that's sound, good. And because recently they took off the required reading list for schools here uh, to kill a mockingbird. No. Hartford and they banned it. You know why? Yeah, it's and just ridiculous. They took it off and it was just the same kind of, you know, conservative party we should be say, exposing I thought our that kids. was only
0: happening over here. Not at all.
1: <laughs> Not at all. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, and you know, I being the person who I am, I don't really check my emails all the time. And So mm-hmm. I got halfway through a semester teaching to kill a mockingbird, most of the way through the book when I looked on the reading list and found it wasn't there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, had to, I had to, A, come to grips with what just happened and then, B, go back yeah. to my class and apologize. <laughs> Sorry, you did all this reading. Yeah, and I had to explain It's not for nothing. Like, this is stupid. We read all this for nothing. But, A, yeah, so To Kill a Mockingbird, everybody, uh, everybody on earth should be required to read that book just for being human. And then, alongside okay. with it, they should read 1984 by George Orwell. Mm-hmm. They should read those two books. And especially because books like To Kill a Mockingbird is getting banned. They should read those insane. two books together. And because, yeah. you know, to me it's like the same It's like, well, They fit. Yeah. yeah. Perfectly. Yeah. Like once was true. You know, this one thing that was undeniably true and that everybody valued above all else is now just gone. Right. And nobody's ever going to talk about it.
0: Right. Because of this, this, yeah, you know, this big brotherism or this censorship that is coming from a, a higher level.
1: And when I was reading those books as a teenager, I thought, wow, we're moving into a world that we won't have to think about these things anymore. Or we're moving away from this society where we're judging people for their outward appearances or, you know, that sort of thing. And we're moving away from this side where big brother and total terrorism is going to take over our lives mm-hmm. but now actually now it's, it's since i thought that we've gone pretty much the way i thought it the other way we've gone the backwards. opposite direction
0: yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: we've, become, we've become more racist and more enslaved as as society and not just americans you know it's not mm-hmm. just you guys although it looks pretty bad from over here. <laughs> it, <it's,
0: laughs> I was going to ask about the perception over here. So I can't travel these days without somebody just saying like, what the F? Like, what are you guys doing over there? Yeah, it's pretty bad over here. I, I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I was an English teacher as well. And um, one of the reasons I left was just through the politics just completely ate me up. You know, I truly believe that any book that is, worthy of being banned should definitely be read. You know what I mean? If somebody thinks you shouldn't read it, then that is a book that will open your mind.
1: <laughs> yeah. Be delighted to have a book banned anywhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, oh it's God. good. If somebody yeah, takes,
1: you know, at the same time you, you see there's another counterculture, which is starting to libraries up, which I don't know, you hear all kinds of things, but Holy smokes. Like really, yeah. we're burning books again. But yeah, so that's why I think, you know, inside the surf world, I, I don't know. (laughs) Like, I don't really believe surf writing exists, you know, I think it's just.
0: Those are two good ones. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, you know, in search of Captain Zero, but that's partly because Alan Weisbecker, you know, spent so much time here in Montauk and, uh, we all know, you know, the character that he was and still is, you know. So I love, I love that book. I bet that book is probably would be banned if it was on a high school shelf.
1: (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, no, no more seeking self, you know what I mean? Like, don't, don't do that. Yeah. No, it's, Um, it's
1: another, speaking of the Pulitzer, there's another book that won the Pulitzer called The Overstory. I can't remember the name of the author right now, but um, it's one that I've read recently that I think everybody should read. What's it about? It's about. It follows a couple different stories, but one of the stories is um, a a person who was in in the insurance industry, and his job was to put a number on everybody's life. So, you know, when hmm. he died, they had to cough up a certain amount of money to give to somebody. This guy's oh, wow. job was to figure out the number that you're worth when you die. And wow. He okay. started to think about trees. He had an interest in trees, and they had. He saw. He went back home and saw a part of the forest that was old growth and it had been clear cut and all down. So he started to think about, oh, well, you know, I'm I'm spending my lifetime placing a value on human beings, monetary value on human beings. It's like how much is that tree worth that I climbed when I was a kid? That's gone. You know.
0: Yeah. So interesting.
1: So it sort of opens up this concept uh, that man i think it led to a couple trials where they started to consider zoo animals as having the same rights as human beings mm-hmm. so and now they're mm-hmm. starting to place forests and sh- and even individual trees basically having a bill of rights you know so they have certainly certain certain rights to life that human beings have oh, which is a new way to look at things and okay. i it's I the right that. way to look at things yeah i love that
0: I, uh, I'm I'm currently reading um, Deep by James Nestor. You know, it's about I don't I don't I'm not a free diver. I wish I was, but so I you know I'm vicariously living. But it's about the animals, uh, the marine animals that live like in the places where light doesn't touch. One of the things he says is they are they are ugly, like they are <laughs> ugly looking creatures because where there's no light, there's no need for aesthetics. You, know you don't I mean? need to be it's, pretty. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's pure survival. You know, just that, like there's so, there's so much life that we don't even understand. Like we don't even know about. And certainly we're seeing the impacts of, uh, what's happening ar- on the global scale as, you know, as humans just wantonly take down trees, making life extinct that, um, is so vital to our planet. I just, sorry, I'm off on a tangent now, but like I, I just saw something that the Florida water temperatures right now are somewhere around 90 degrees. And that's insane. You know, it's absolutely insane to have ocean temperatures around 90 degrees and how that is killing the plankton that is so necessary for this planet survival. People think that life isn't important. It's like, well, what about, what about your life? And how do you know of, you know, the impact that you have by taking down a tree or what have you? isn't going to have a huge global impact 10 years later on. It's just, you're singing my song, Dylan. Sorry.
1: Yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> we're on the same boat here. And this we're singing from the same hymn sheet, as they say. Oh,
0: I totally, totally, yeah. I, I can get going on that in a heartbeat. <laughs> so thank
1: you. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, it's, you know, when I teach students, I like it, climate anxiety is, is real. Like it's real crippling. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm sort of, I'm going, well, yeah, I'll probably see a little bit of it, but then I'll die. Yeah, uh, but the my hook. son's gonna—he's he'll probably see the apocalypse. That's kind of where I'm thinking.
0: Oh God! I have to make right? peace with. Him. <laughs> yeah, well, he'll he'll be strong and well, resilient. good luck,
1: boy. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, God. I really I messed it up, up for you. But all I can say is they didn't give it to me in good shape either.
0: <laughs> yeah, we are headed that way. Yeah. <laughs> Man, so so Dylan, we just have a couple of minutes left, and I don't want to end on that note.
1: <laughs> no, it's easy to drift down that that uh, that spiral. Yeah, yeah. I'm you know. sitting here at uh, on my farm right now. We have two acres here at more oh. on the peninsula. I can sort of see the village. Amazing. And then across the village is the wave, the big wave. So you know, it's really easy to listen to the news and think we're all gonna. Die, through painful death from environmental crisis in the next couple of decades. But like, you know, then you can go grow some lettuce and tomatoes and plant a couple of trees and like, you Have know, uncripple yeah. yourself and think about this thing. as like, well, I'm just going to make around me a little bit nicer mm. and put some more green on earth and take care of some trees over here. And, you know, if you look at small spaces, it's a lot easier to, not Break it go down. into a downward spiral of yeah, not ultimate get depression <laughs>
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> about humanity.
0: <laughs> definitely. We have to, right. We have to keep ourselves motivated and inspired in all things, you know, definitely with the climate, but in all things it's, that's, it, either we're looking up or we're looking down and it's, it's a personal choice. Um, so do you, I mean, so I, I want to first invite all of our readers, right, just to take note of your articles that come in every issue now of Session Magazine, right? We put you up front because we love having you as like sort of an opening voice because it's, it's got that, it's like, it, you know, you're informative, you're funny, but there's like, there's an edge there, you know, and the edge is, is, makes you think about the subject matter that you're talking about. So, you know, I definitely
1: want our readers there. I noticed also, the spot. I appreciate the spot. It's an honor. Thank you very much. yeah oh, we
0: love it. No, we love it. We have, now we have you at the front and Eric Sanford, who um, wrote for Windsurfer Magazine for years, and he is now our closer. And, uh, you know, and it's it's just so great because, you know, you're definitely oriented in the surf world and he's uh, focused, you know, more on wind sports. So it's sort of like a beautiful balance there. And both of you are really funny when you choose to be funny, but also like, dead serious about a lot, you know, which is, which is amazing. Do you have uh, any other writing projects that you're working on right now? Or do you have any, um, do you have any big goals for writing?
1: No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's cool. No, I, when I, I went to, after I did my postgraduate creative writing i went to new york at the only time i lived in new york city trying mm-hmm. to knock on doors of publishing offices and trying to sell this book idea that i had and it was it was fun i almost i almost um almost had some very small successes but not quite and since then i've been like well i'm gonna write a book one day but mm-hmm. you know i'm a dad and i'm a teacher a teacher and mm-hmm. we run a little farm and you know and then the surf gets good and and it's hard to um it's. Uh, I don't know how Finnegan does it. I don't know. <laughs> life you throwing a discuss. war every two you know. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I imagine that I will sort of. I've always imagined that, like, I can piece together a lot of these articles that I've written throughout the years mm. in some sort of in some sort of way and bind them together. In, in a cool way later in life. I've been dabbling that. with that idea. Yeah. Where else um, have
0: you written? Like where else can people find your writing?
1: Well, all the magic seaweed stuff's gone. Um, I've written so uh, crazy. one, one article for surface journal. If you go way, way back to 2011 or something, a couple articles for, uh, you know, what's that? ESM, which I think is gone. Oh, right. Saw Surfer, those. which is gone. It's back. Isn't surfer?
0: Isn't surfer back? Is it back? I think it's back as yeah. part of a like a larger media organization. Sure, so, so, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. So
0: like it's controlled by Big Brother, but it's back. All
1: right. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah. I mean, I grew up. Yeah, I grew up in the '90s, and Surfer Magazine was was like the Bible. It was yes. Yeah, it was great. Right. It was Matt Warshaw, Steve Barlotti, Derek Hind. Mm-hmm. Like there are all these people who wrote things that had a huge impact and i picked up the magazine and actually read the articles because Derek hines review the top 44 oh my it was it was scathing and and like he would predict what would happen to the top 44 surfers oh that's awesome do you remember i mean i don't know i wasn't
0: i i started surfing when in my 30s so i probably missed some of that
1: it was it was completely brutal honesty but you know just totally what he thought about people like wow he's, he's partying it. too much i see him going to burn it out in 3 months you know mm, <laughs> that's great and yeah it was awesome and so and, and the writing back then was awesome and since then besides surfer's journal i haven't you, you, you don't see awesome writing in surf magazines too much you see a lot of photographers writing yeah. you know, underneath yeah photographs that are being published and yeah i i just to me photographers look at the world differently of course (laughs) they do then writers look at it you know and Mm -hmm. when they Mm -hmm. try to if i picked up a camera and started shooting stuff i i I don't know i think they'd have the same criticism of me they're like look you just you just look at the world in a different way than we do
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's an ongoing conversation with us at the magazine about just upticking the quality of the writing, you know, and reaching out to people like yourself, you know, and, you know, and others to just bring that level up because, you know, as we say all the time, like there are athletes, like what are athletes who write and they're usually pretty good, but they're not, they're still not writers. You know, they're not coming at it from that understanding and that perspective of making, making people think. And, uh, yeah, if you have any recommendations, just know that we would always, always, always like love oh, to do that. Thank hear you. Them. And
1: I mean, you asked me if I had any bigger projects and I sort yeah. of pictured a book or something. But saying that, and no, I don't have any like mammoth things like that in the future, immediate future anyway. But I mean, you guys, you guys keep me busy. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, it's, you know, this is kind of, that's a big deal to me, like to, to, have an article go in to every quarterly is a big deal. But not only that, you know, you guys completely leave it up to me and that's yeah. really special. Like you have no, almost no sort of input or guide into what I come up with next.
0: Well we trust you.
1: And you know. that's amazing. And yeah. so for me, that's huge. Like, and for me, like my, my goals are to really want to sort of live up to that. You know, I want to improve myself in a way, and that's that's a really good feeling for a writer to have—to to be challenged. And I think I uh, thank you for that uh, challenge and to put me in that spot because because it really does like makes it makes the writer's brain sort of tick. And yeah. me, especially, I have trouble. I can't set my own deadlines. I have trouble putting together a project unless
0: you have a deadline.
1: There is something behind it. And I guess it's because I've gone through the publishing world with my own things going, guys, look, I want to sell this. Who could we sell this to? Mm -hmm. You know, you Mm -hmm. like it. All right, cool. And I've gone through the publishing world and been, as every writer has rejected a million times. And so as every writer says, ah, it doesn't affect me. Yeah, no, it does. It does. You don't want to do it again and again and again, you know? So to have that trust is super big time. Thank you.
0: Wow. You're, you're so welcome. And we are, we just feel so lucky to, you know, have you drop into our hemisphere. I mean, literally it was like, you know, we reached out and asked a couple of people for writers and you came recommended from, I think three different sources. So thank, thank you. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> who was that? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway, we're, no, we're so grateful to have you too, Dylan.
1: Yeah. So no, I'm glad la- you, I'm glad you guys are there. It's, you're, you're awesome. We're trying,
0: we're trying, you know, we're trying, we're growing. Hey, did you know that we're now distributed in Australia with this last magazine that you wrote for It's We are now landing in Australia, probably right about now. So it's an exciting new, yeah. Exciting new development. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So any, any last words for, of wisdom, inspiration for your students before we sign off? Mm.
1: Last words of wisdom to your students um it's gonna sound really cliche but uh for any students out there just you really have to just be who you are Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's so cliche but it's the it's Mm -mm. it's the only thing that works in in life is to is to trust yourself and follow your own path listen to your heart and that's perfect go where the world takes you and if you try to if you try to forge your own path too much It's never going to work out, and you'll come back to the original. Just be yourself. Mm. So, See what
0: happens. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you, Dylan Stott, for your time today. We are grateful, grateful, grateful to have you on this podcast. And, uh, you know, looking forward to if you come back to New York, right, please let me know because you're, like, down the block and around the corner. Um, And, you know, we look forward to every episode of your writing in Session Magazine. So thank you so much for being here today.
1: Mm, thank you so much, too. It was really nice to chat to you. Nice to meet you. Yeah. And um, you know what I miss about the Hamptons is clams. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> They're still here, if that's enough yeah. of a draw. <laughs> yeah, i really, really love to eat some clams right now.
0: They're, they're yeah. a little harder that's to
1: find, thing. perhaps. So go, go have some clams for me if you like them.
0: Oh, I, I think I'll do that, and I'll, right. I'll even maybe I'll even call up Vinnie McGann, see if call he wants up to call Vinnie McGann
1: and go go out with your bare feet and go get them.
0: Exactly, that's what we would do. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: thanks, Dylan. Thanks, Evelyn.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of On Water. We certainly love bringing the myriad and diverse group of characters from our water community to you to share their experiences. If you enjoyed what you heard, please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. This podcast grows out of the publication of our quarterly print magazine, Session. Session celebrates the ways in which we all as water lovers engage in our world's aquatic playgrounds, from surfing to foiling, kiting, stand-up paddling, and more. We encourage you to visit our website at www.session-magazine.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.